Good morning, everyone. And our gospel is recorded, uh, the gospel account is recorded in all four of our gospels. And when that happens, not that uh, the evangelists uh, are all that different from each other, but uh, sometimes they account different things. But this is one of the stories that are written in all four. And uh, that, for us Christians, tells us this becomes a very important event. All the events in Jesus' life are important, but this one uh, has a bunch of things going on. And certainly um, the people, remember the people of Jesus' time, what they had was Moses. Moses was the greatest leader of all. Uh, remember, Jesus is addressing uh, Jewish people. And so one of the things that we pick up from this is there's a, as Jesus told us before, old and new, um, he made some statements that the Jewish people would have recognized immediately that perhaps you don't remember. So I'm going to remind you. First, there's one of the prophets, Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha. He fed people with bread given by God. And uh, there's more story, but uh, that's for another time. Then we would also see, um, if you will, Moses. Moses, remember, that's the one everyone really remembers. Uh, Moses uh, takes folks into the desert area. And uh, God feeds them with manna from heaven. So there's bread there. And remember, uh, Moses freed them from slavery. Jesus comes along, and now he's feeding them with fresh bread and fish. He's also freeing them from, as we're told, sickness. So all of this, the people are beginning, oh, wait a minute, this is a prophet. Wait, this is a greater prophet, because this prophet is doing something even more he didn't just free us from the hands of, he didn't free us from Romans, they wanted that. But he freed us from sin. And so this becomes, uh, what's happening is the evangelist saying, do you see what's happening? Uh, but without this other context, oh yeah, great, he did this miracle of the bread. Well, there's much more going on uh, than that. And friends, one of the things about uh, all three readings um, there is a commonality that uh, runs through all of them, uh, which is God, of course. Uh, but um, this, there's this um, sense of spirituality. And I wanted to use that word because I want to reclaim that word for what it really is when it comes to Christianity. Because I hear people everywhere throwing around, I'm a spiritual person, I'm a spiritual person. What does that mean? You, you put crystals on your head? Do you, what are you doing? What does that mean? And that can mean different things for different people. However, in Christianity, uh, the kind of spirituality uh, is to be at the very core of our true religion of Jesus Christ as followers of him. And um, each of the readings are steeped in this particular type of spirituality. What is this? In Christianity, it is the very presence of God felt and experienced tangible in their life. That is what spirituality means to the Christian faith. It means nothing else but that. All the new things, are, uh, that's some new phrase for other people. Friends, um, with this uh, sense of God's presence in human life, there's a sense of the values of the kingdom then, and, uh, and of God's ongoing call to everyone to let go of the other things that hinder in experiencing this type of... Our first reading bespeaks of the values of this type of experience 
You see, it comes at a time when the Jewish people have been returned to the promised land. They were in exile in Babylon. And when they got back to their city, it was not the way they left it. It was in ruins. And the people felt defeated. And so the prophet Isaiah turns their physical poverty into an invitation to speak to, um, um, if you will, to seek spiritual treasures now. And uh, this will make them strong in the faith so that they were able to face the future no matter what it may be or may whatever it was it was going to look like. And he says, uh, you don't need money. But he, in the Greek it says, you have no money, he tells them, but come to the water. Why spend your wages, what, meaning what you do have, for what fails to satisfy? Listen that you may have life, is what the prophet tells them. That question, why spend your wages for what fails to satisfy? That could be asked today by a prophet of God. Many folks have sought so hard after so many well, I changed my homily. I called it silly and ridiculous things, but that's harsh. I understand. So for trivialities, they have not noticed the spiritual hunger, a particular type of emptiness, and people have been trying to fill that with other things, and it leaves them unsatisfied. The prophet says, listen that you may have life. How many people know how to really listen, how to attend to what someone else is really saying, and to the feelings behind what is being said? My friends, perhaps that is the reason why so many relationships of late remain so superficial, and why people are becoming more and more isolated from each other, uh, even in the midst of a pandemic where they're kind of locked physically in the same quarters, and yet they feel isolated. And if one has difficulty listening to another person, how will they be able to listen to God? The likelihood is when God speaks most once. The second reading, St. Paul. He's very emotional and very excited. Uh, if you go and read it, you'll pick it up. The little piece we have from the lectionary doesn't show up. When you read the whole thing, he's pretty animated uh, in this particular piece. Um, uh, in his words to the Romans, that the love of Christ can overcome everything. He says that nothing can separate us from Christ's love. And he meant, uh, he wasn't, uh, last night I told the people, he wasn't talking about barbecues and birthdays. He's talking about when hard things come, you are not to move into despair. And the reason you are not to move into despair is because Christ loves you. And if he loves you, what can this world do to you, really? He says that nothing can separate, separate that person from Christ's love. And my friends, I told the people last night, if this was being put forth by anyone else except for St. Paul, we might ignore it, but um, as being, oh, you know, just a very nice speech. 
But we know that St. Paul lived what he preached, and thus his statements should be seen, if you will, as coming from personal experience. He churches, because they were fighting with each other, he also had to deal with cities and towns that didn't want him. And they literally threw him out under threat of killing him and stoning him. And some of them beat him up pretty bad. I mean, I'm not talking emotionally, they did that. They beat him up. Now, he did something that I don't think I could do. <laughs> he went back. <laughs> you watch his travels, it's like this. He gets to that end, and he goes right back into the same towns that said, if you come back in here, we are going to kill you. <laughs> what does he do? He goes right back in. His faith came from his deep relationship and friendship with Christ. And it was an ongoing relationship. It was one filled with spirit and dialogue between the two of them that supported him and kept him going through all those difficult times. There is no other explanation outside of mental illness, and St. Paul was not mentally ill. From the gospel, the sense of spirituality, the sense of God's presence on the account is not just from the miracle of the multiplication of loaves and fish, although the power of God is certainly there, because no human could do that. However, I would say go back and take a look at the beginning of the story. First, we are told that Jesus' cousin is murdered. John the Baptist, that is his cousin. And the king has murdered him. I say murder, not kill. He murdered him because it was unjust what the king did. And Jesus is mourned boat by himself. There is no time to mourn. By the time he reaches the other side, it is time for business, if you will. My friends, we are told that 5,000 men, not including men and women, left behind the security of their city and town and followed this rabbi named Jesus to a deserted place after he had crossed the lake and a boat by himself. This part of the miracle is often overlooked. The very moving expression of the people's spiritual hunger. They are longing for something that that king and that governor and that government and that they could not get from them. And the religious people of the time, the Pharisees and scribes, couldn't do it either. 5,000 men, not including the women and children, follow one rabbi. It was a spiritual hunger that first provided for the possibility for the miracle of the loaves and the fish to happen. I can make this statement because we are told on another occasion that because of the people's lack of faith, Jesus could perform no miracles among them. In part, Jesus' miracles were a response to the people's growing faith and trust in God 
spirituality. <laughs> That's spirituality. My friends, in fact, there was a famine of the Word of God at the time that Jesus came. We see it from the book of Amos, chapter 8, line 11. The prophet said from this point on, there would be a famine, but not of food. But of people understanding God. That is today. The hunger that brought those people to that place without provisions was a hunger for the very word and presence of God. And what about us today then? And we know how to remedy it. But do we recognize spiritual hunger? Today many folks eat too much, drink too much, shop too much. Little things. Nonetheless, the homily is for me too. Spend way too much time on social media and binge way too much on Netflix. And others surround themselves with so much noise day and night. And these things, I think, perhaps point to the spiritual poverty that exists in our world. The deserted place of the gospel story that we had just heard was by a lake. Today, that deserted place is within the person. But few people have the strength to go there and wait for God. Any kind of distraction would be better, they say. Many folks don't understand the spiritual hunger. And because of it, they cannot get in touch with it. And therefore, they will never be able to satisfy it. The result is that the person rarely, if ever, experiences what those spiritually hungry people from the gospel so long ago in that deserted place came upon the very power, presence, grace, and gift of God. They discovered true spirituality. What is the job of the priest? To do this. And it's hard. Because the priest has to fight everything else. Turn off the music. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. <laughs> Make room for God. Next in line are the catechists. <laughs> they have to do the same thing. They've got to reach in and help, in this case, the youth to understand what that hunger is. Because until they understand what it is, they will never be able to get it satisfied. And that is the role of all of you 
as disciples to help others carefully to come and experience true spirituality, God and his presence.